I would say the service is over if I didn't have such a great message to preach. But um, I am looking at the clock and aware that we are way beyond um, what would be the allotted time for this message. So can I buy some time from you? Is that okay? All right. I don't know why I asked because I'm going to do it anyway, but I was looking for some. Wow. Mm. Well, we have been in the middle of a series called Build Your Kingdom Now, and we've been looking in the book of Acts. And as I saw Mother's Day approaching, it's always an interesting day as a preacher, as a male preacher, because I go, okay, should a, should, should a woman be in the pulpit? Should I be talking about Mother's Day? Should I celebrate it before the sermon and then move on into our series? And I go through all of those different thoughts in my mind and different times I land on different things. But this, this morning, as, we, as I was approaching this time um, and thinking about the book of Acts, I thought, Lord, I want to preach this message. And I want to talk about the great women of God that are mentioned in the book of Acts and speak to the women in this room and say, mothering of a natural child is a part of the calling of many in this room, but not all. But all of the women in this room are to be honored for who God is in you and who God has called you to be as mighty women of faith in our world. And we see it in the book of Acts, and so often I have to apologize and say that we often focus a lot of our attention and our time on what seem to be the principal characters in Acts, Paul and Peter and Silas. And yet when you do a careful study of Acts, you see that embedded within every story, both unnamed but oftentimes named, and with purpose, women of God who provided the anchor, the fervor, the faith, the early adoption, the sustaining presence of the presence of God in the early church. And we're going to look at them this morning. But before I go there, I want to say this. Uh, it's not one or the other. Oftentimes, it's both and. Meaning that mothers, and I want to speak of my own mother, are not only mighty in this world and mighty in the development of their children and in their careers, but they are also mighty women of God. And they're not mutually exclusive. And oftentimes they are primary in their effect and purpose. And I just want to say, even as we look at the women of Acts, I want to give thanks to my own mother. And to say, I would not be standing up here today without my mom. And not because she was a great, just because she was a great mom who nurtured and cared for me and would scratch my head and would call them Gucci's and I would go, oh, Mom, I love you. You're awesome. And feel the nurturing and care. But because when I was a little kid, she turned on the television and she saw a preacher preach the word of God and she became a, a woman who desired to follow Jesus. And through, in a rural town in New Mexico, through TV and her her amplified Bible and her parallel Bible. She studied and she sought the living God. And I saw her pray and I saw her study the word of God and I saw her temperament and I saw her care and her love for Jesus and it opened up the door for me to find Christ. She is one of my greatest disciplers 
of what it looks like to pursue God with a wholehearted, humble, hungry heart. And so moms in the room, we want to thank you for not just, just being moms, but being spiritual moms, being ones who open the door for us to pursue and engage the living God. Thank you for being grace under pressure, unlike anybody I know. And I want to say that it's true about my own wife, who is an unbelievable mom, and even today, um, waking up with a very asthmatic son, Isaac, and caring for him both before bedtime, through the night, and into this morning, and then coming, and my oldest daughter taking over to care for Isaac so that my wife could come and work in children's ministry. Um, what an unbelievable woman of God, and a, and, a, and a mighty woman of God, and a mother. But being natural mothers is not all that women are called to. Many are called to that, but not all. And today I want to take that imagery of birth, of mothering, and, and Brendan alluded to this in his time, and put it alongside of an equally great birthing and formation, which is the church. The church of God being born in Acts. The history of the early church is seen in the Gospels, and in the letters and the teachings of the apostles is filled with the contributions of women. Their, particip their, their participation in the early church was progressive for its time, but the early writers, starting with Jesus, acknowledged that um, God had not marginalized women, that it was not God's desire to, to see them as less than equal heirs of the gospel and equal um, creators um, and birthers of the movement of God through the church. Galatians 3.28, Paul declares, he says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And from that declaration, it's just a reiteration of what Christ, what God had been communicating to the church and to the people of God throughout history. It just took us a while to get it. Amen? Uh, we are dumb sheep that have a hard time understanding sometimes the things of God. But God was communicating from the very beginning of creation, and I'm not going to preach this, I'm not going to preach all of the Bible today, just Acts, that he was communicating that men and women are made in the image of God. Genesis 1. We, are, we, are, we reflect both male and female, the very image and nature of Christ, of God, and therefore are co-heirs of all that God has called us out to be. In the book of Acts, we've, we've looked at this passage of Scripture already, or this story, but in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God descended upon the church, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter got up to preach, one of the first images that he, he, he paints is a prophetic word that he borrowed from Joel in the Old Testament. And he says this to the crowd, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon the people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. They will proclaim. They will teach. They will inspire. They will lead. They will lead forth, not just men, but men and women will lead forth the representation and glory of God for the church to be established and for all mankind to see 
and taste and understand who God is. In that prophetic moment, although Jesus had already been elevating the status of women in his own ministry, in that moment, God was ushering in a proclamation to the church, go forth, men and women, and see the kingdom of God established. See Jesus lifted up and all men and women brought unto God's glory. So written within this context of, of this prophetic utterance of Paul, of Peter in Acts, and as we see in the book of Acts, we see the story of men and women alike ministering, leading, teaching, prophesying, and birthing the church. And I want to say, as a man who has lived in a male-dominated time still, surprisingly, although it's getting better, and led and one who is led in a male-dominated church, and one who is wanting to see that norm change. I would like to celebrate this morning as we look at the church in the book of Acts, the contribution of women in their role in birthing the church. But before we go to Acts, can we just all stop and think about all the women that have impacted our lives beyond our mothers? Can we just... I did this for myself, I thought through my life, and both within my life, the people that I actually knew as friends and acquaintances, but also within history and society, and just started to think about how women have shaped me. I said 90%, it might have been 95% of all my teachers growing up were women. In school, every person that had a, had a significant educational um, formational impact in my life was a woman, Mrs. Wilkerson. I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna give, I'm, I'm thinking of names, but these are my names. Mrs. Wilkerson, Mrs. Anthony, Mrs. Bath, Mrs. Lloyd. They were all women who shaped how I write, how I do math, how I think about science, how I think about culture and history. They were mostly women that taught me, and I'm thankful for their impact. And I still remember some of these women as voices in my mind encouraging me to be the best person I could be. I still hear their affection and their endearing tone as they called out the best of this young man. Do you see those people in your mind? Do you remember them? How about societal leaders through the 20th and 21st century? There's no way that I can do justice to all the great women in the world, but how about Indira Gandhi and Margaret Thatcher and Anne Frank and Mother Teresa and Amelia Earhart Virginia Woolf and Queen Elizabeth and Eleanor Roosevelt, Marie Curie and Agatha Christie, Dorothy Hodgkin, Catherine Hepburn, Rosa Parks, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, Condoleezza Rice, Oprah Winfrey, on and on we could talk about women whether you agree or not with their contributions who have led powerfully, powerfully in the context of our society and have contributed in the arts, the sciences, in the political realm, uh, in every sphere lasting, impactful contributions that impact not just women, but men and women alike. And then in the church, for me personally, even in a church that was more dominated by men in my upbringing, and again, I'm sewing in my own story with your story, I can still remember women who stood out to me as imparters, along with my mom, of the grace and the knowledge of Christ, Sunday school teachers, teachers at large that would come and share 
um, in settings in our, in our services, prophetic and prayer-filled women who would inspire and lead out in my own life, through my journey, through different churches and experiences, writers and preachers that have impacted my life, Beth Moore, Hannah Hernard, Hind's Feet in High Places was a formational book for me in understanding the, the devotional life of Christ and his love for me. Joy Dawson. We have women authors in our midst. Dorothy Greco has helped. She's sitting over here. Christopher's wife has helped my marriage um, in her writing. Missionaries and women of God that have stirred and impacted me. Gladys El Elward and her, her journeys to China. Corey Ten Boom and her response to the oppression of, of the Nazis in World War II. Jackie Pullinger and her faith to go out as a single woman and take on the drug addiction and the poverty of Hong Kong and the, 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 the ministry of the powerful ministry that she had there. Darlene Rose and her impact as a, as a, a, a woman missionary in Indonesia during World War II and, and her story catching a hold of my life in the early, the late 1990s and uh, just radically shaping the way that I see the Father heart of God. Suzette Hatting and her ministry along the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke and how she taught me how to pray and to believe and contend for the powerful things of God. I could go on and on of missionary women who have just impacted my life. And I only, you're probably out there going, but what about, what about so-and-so? What about her? You know, you have your own stories. We could go on and on and talk about how women have impacted not only our personal lives, but the society that we live in. And they need to be honored. You need to be honored. But let's look at the book of Acts very quickly. We'll do a very quicker than I want to, quicker than my notes would allow me. I'm going to cut through my notes, but a church history of the book of Acts. We already looked at Acts 2, but I want to look at Paul's second, second missionary journey uh, just focus in on that second missionary journey that starts in Acts 16 because almost every one of his stops, Paul highlights women's response and or by name, their influence in that missionary journey that he was a part of. It starts off in Acts 16 with Timothy introducing us to one of, one of his greatest co-workers that, has written his own, uh, that he wrote letters to with his name attached to them who was a fellow worker in the church, who established churches with him, that also oversaw churches that he left under his care. And it speaks of Timothy, and the very first thing it says of Timothy it is, is it, he talks about in Romans 16, his mother, a Jewish believer. And if we know anything about the New Testament, we can fast forward to a, a, a larger context of who, who his mother was in 2 Timothy 2. And it says this, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, it says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. So this great love for Timothy. And then he speaks of Timothy's faith, and he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. He calls out his mom and his grandmother. He says, I remember their faith, and I'm celebrating the faith that you received from your grandmother and mother. 
not just their love as mothers, but their life in Christ. And I think of some of our great moms in here that, that I could honor, but I want to honor Marianne Kane. I don't know where she is. I, can't, I didn't see her. Is Marianne here? Mar- Liam was sick, and so she's home early. But Marianne, a single mother who received Christ when Liam was just born and has embraced not only the motherhood, being a mother, but embraced the life of Christ in her own life and has provided a home and a faith for this young man to grow up without a father in this world, but to grow up with a great understanding of his father in heaven. Um, and we have many of those moms, both single and married, that are leading out in shaping the formation of their sons and daughters. Paul was addressing Timothy and saying, I give honor to you, but I also give honor to Eunice and to Lois, your grandmother and your mother. We move on in Romans chapter 16, and we, we see this story. It's Paul's secondary, second missionary journey. He's finishing up his work in western Turkey as God called him in his term, and his team is now moving into northern Greece, this, this Macedonian call to reach this Greek area of the world, and his destination was the Roman city of Philippi. He unsuccessfully looked for a Jewish synagogue in the area, and so you had to have at least 10, 10 men to start a synagogue, and so evidently in this town there wasn't enough men to start a synagogue, and so he's looking for people of, uh, that fear God in this city, in this, this Greek town. And so he decides to go out to the river um, where he might find some worshipers by the river, and lo and behold, he does, but he doesn't find men. He finds women. He finds a group of women that fear God. And it says, on, it says in verse 13 of Acts 16, it says, On the Sabbath we went a little way outside, to the river, outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there, and one of them was Lydia from, uh, I don't know how to say that, Tiatira, Tiatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests, If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So what do we learn about Lydia? We're going to learn about some things about women that I want to celebrate in this early church. And what we learned about Lydia is that she um, she was a businesswoman. She was not only a businesswoman, she was an influential, wealthy businesswoman. It, it, it's perceived through this, this context that she was from one town, but the, from another town that she was not in at the present time, she was in Philippi, which makes us, uh, makes us think that she might have owned two homes and that she was inviting, after she received the gospel, received, received Jesus, she was inviting them, the, the, the team into her second home. She was a businesswoman. She was wealthy, she had influence, and she was a worshiper, worshiper of God. And what we find out in the context of this passage of Scripture is that she was the first early adopter of the gospel in Greece. That she, Lydia, by name, spoken of in Acts, honored by Paul, was declared the first believer that he had met. And she opened up the gospel not only in her heart, but she opened her home up and she was, therefore, the first church planter in Greece. She gave her life to Jesus. She opened her home up. And we know 
that the church continue to be meeting there and strengthened there um, in Philippi. As a matter of fact, we go on in the chapter 16 and we find out that Paul, as we already know from studying Acts, that Paul and Silas get into trouble. <laughs> They're thrown into prison. They, re- they are released from prison. You can read more of that story. It's actually a fascinating story, but it doesn't fit into the, the, the message this morning. And when they leave, it says in Acts 40, I mean 1640, when they left prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers, plural, and encouraged them once more than they left town. She received Christ, she opened up her home, and she created an opportunity for the church to flourish in Philippi. Amen? All right. First, first church planner of Greece, Lydia. So they left there. They headed to Thessalonica, find a synagogue there. They, they preached, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 17, some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek, Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Prominent women, who, by the way, if they're prominent, they had influence, they probably had wealth, and just like every other parable or story in the Scripture, because they were wealthy, they had a lot to lose. It says in Scripture that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, and so these women, along with these men, made a sacrificial choice to open up their lives to Jesus in their prominence, and not only receive, but as we see further on in the scripture, to be generous, to be benevolent, to be benefactors of the, king, of the church with their resources. They laid down their reputation and wealth for the church. The mark of New Testament church planting women is that they're early adopters. They are church planters. They are generous with their wealth. And as a, as a result, they're marked with humility. So another mob came against the team. Surprise, surprise. Going quickly through this passage of scripture. And so they were sent out. This team was sent out now to Berea. The Bereans were open-minded. They searched the scripture. And verse 12 of chapter 17 says this. As a result, in Berea, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent, there it is again, prominent Greek women and men. Move on. More trouble stirred up in Berea. So they're sent on to Athens. They see that there's lots of idols in the city of Athens, lots of, also lots of philosophers who spent most of their time all day debating the newest ideas. Paul invited them to talk about this strange Jesus who talked about the resurrection of the dead. They thought that was quite curious and compelling. So verse 32 of chapter 17, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and other with them. And now Richard Bachman, a theologian, states that whenever a person's name, so we've already heard Lydia Lydia, um, written down in Scripture, but whenever we hear a person's name recorded in Paul's letters, it is because they had distinguished themselves among the church as having some Um, um, honor of Christian service. They were people that were known. They were people that when he spoke the name, the church would know know about them, well known among their community for their commitment to Jesus and the spread of the gospel. So another mark of women in in the New Testament church in Acts is that they were honored publicly. They, They were known. Not just the men were known, but Lydia was known. 
Damaris was known so that when Paul wrote about them, people said, oh, Damaris, I know her. She's a mighty worker of God. Oh, Lydia, oh, yeah, she's awesome. That's where the church in Philippi meets. She's a leader in the church. Paul goes on from Athens to Corinth, a major Greek city controlling the traffic between the two seaports on both coasts of a large land bridge. It was a vibrant metropolitan city. And Paul and his team actually spent 18 months there, and they planted multiple churches throughout the city, including in the suburb of Centria. And here we meet Priscilla and Aquila, who are tent makers, a husband and wife team. They were from Rome but settled in Corinth after the diaspora, the, the persecution of the Jews in Rome, and they'd been driven out by Claudius. And now they join Paul's team and head to Ephesus where, with him to minister there. There, so he meets Priscilla and Aquila, he names them, and, and, and we, we find out a lot more about Priscilla and, and Aquila and their ministry alongside of Paul. But they join him in ministry in Ephesus, and they meet Apollos, who we also learn about a little bit more in other letters that Paul writes, who was a great evangelist, a teacher and somebody who actually led out in evangelism and seeing churches established. And when they met Apollos, Apollos, um, this is what it says in chapter 18 in verses 25 and 26. It says, He had been taught the ways of the Lord, and he had taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. So when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they, it didn't say that, that just Aquila took them, but they, plural, took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila were spoken of in Scripture as being ones who taught Apollos the ways of God. So we see as a mark, and we could see that even more clearly as if we looked at other passages of Scripture in the New Testament, that among the gifts of women in the early church, as we read about in Acts, was that they were teachers. They were imparters of gifts in ministry. Eventually, they will head back to Rome to work with the church there, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila will. And in the concluding chapter of Paul's letters to the Romans, we find a description of Paul's affection for Priscilla and Aquila. So we're going to look at another letter to, to weave in their story, who are now in Rome, and at the writing of the letter, um, um, were in Rome when, when Paul wrote this letter. And this is what he says at the end of his letter to the Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. So remember, that's where, that's where we were in Acts 18. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Verse 3, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful for them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meet, meets in their home. So here we have Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila. Phoebe, a deacon. What else do we learn about the, lead, the women leaders of the church? Phoebe was called a deacon, which means servant, minister, messenger, but mo most often a servant of God. We're not sure of all the particular tasks that deacons had in the New Testament. We know from reading Acts that they served the poor, they served the widows, they preached under the power of the Holy Spirit, they were evangelists. We see this in Philip and Stephen's life. Deacons were not just people who counted money on Sunday. They did a lot more than that. They were powerful ministers 
of Christ Jesus to the church, not just to the church, but they were also evangelists as well. And we know in Paul's writings, he uses this term for himself to, to describe his, his own ministry and four other people, three who are men and one who is Phoebe. So whatever it is, it was a powerful and, and significant leadership role within the church. We also see um, in this passage of Scripture that Phoebe was a, a, a benefactor, or in the Greek it's prostatus, which means a patron of many, a helper of many. A, lex, a, a lexicographer, Henry Thayer, says this of the meaning of that word prostatus. He says it's a woman set over others or a leader. And even Charles Ryrie, who is more of a complementarian theologian who teaches that a woman's role is not to lead in the church, acknowledges that that term attributed to Phoebe includes some kind of leadership in the church. That's how he describes it. And so most, many scholars would say that Phoebe was not only a deacon, but she was also a leader and one who led many in the church. She was prominent in the ministry of the church. Same with Priscilla and Aquila, or Priscilla, who means, who was called a co-worker. Uh, another term described alongside of Paul is one who had an, uh, had a, an authority or a ministerial prominence um, alongside of him that the people of God would know and respect and submit to. In his New Testament letters, we find this word uh, for co-worker, synergon, for 11 workers, and four out of the 11 people that he talks about that have this gift are women. Four out of 11. But in the closing chapter of Romans 16, which we were looking at, when he talks about co-workers and colleagues of his ministry in that letter, seven out of the ten people he denotes are women. Come on! What are we missing? What we're missing is that we've had a cloud over our eyes as we've looked at the church because we've been shaped, many of us, not all of us, for those of you who've been, been in churches that are more liberating and more... Um, uh, empowering of women, God bless you and lead out in our understanding. But for those of us who have not had this kind of teaching or this kind of understanding, all of a sudden you look at Scripture and you go, it's all over the place in the history of the church. Some of you are smiling and some of you are frowning. I am just, just, you know, just reading Scripture. These men and women were commended because they worked hard for the Lord, Paul said. They benefited the church. And lastly, there's this woman in the church called Junia. She's also in the letter of uh, that letter in Romans, one of, the, one of the seven that he acknowledges. And it says this in verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did who were outstanding among the apostles is another version. And over the course of history, that was such a, a, an enigmatic verse that different translated, translations actually changed the name, which is very clearly in the Greek, Junia, which is a woman name, to Junius. They made, it, they made it a male name. So they didn't have to deal with it, I guess. Or because they just couldn't understand or fathom that it, it, it was possible that there might be a woman in the early church that was um, 
placed alongside of the other apostles and very probably an apostle herself. A fascinating study for you to take a look at at another time um, of which is, is I'm referencing out of, uh, in the context of another book that I read by Alice Matthews is the study of Richard Bachman on this specific woman in the Acts, in the Romans 16 text. He devotes 94 pages to the research of the connection between this woman, Junia, of Paul's day and a woman that lived during Jesus' day named Joanna because the Latin form of Joanna would be Junia. And he... He speculates that there might be a connection between this woman who was one who walked with Jesus. It says in Luke 8, chapter 3, that the 12 apostles, along with three other women, one of them being Joanna, were walking and traveling with Jesus. And that it, it's possible that this Junia that is recognized as being one among the apostles might have been so because she had actually walked and ministered alongside of Jesus. You can take that before the Lord. But the one thing that you can do is recognize that this woman was recognized by Paul in his letters and he was called out and that the early church father Chrysostom, who is very well respected, wrote this, oh, how great is the devotion of this woman that she should be even counted worthy of the appellation of an apostle. So even in the early church, there was recognition that this woman held a distinct and high honor as one who had been with Jesus. Is that cool? I think that's pretty awesome. Okay, how many more people are smiling? Just trying to figure out who, how many more people I have to convince here. Smiling, frowning? Okay. Listen, I want you to, I, well, I'll, I'll say this later. You'll hear, you'll hear my own confession later on. So I'm going to conclude really quickly. I'm so sorry. So this is who we have in Acts and Romans, prominent women of influence, business leaders, wealthy and benevolent, often early adopters of the gospel, leading out in faith and belief ahead of men oftentimes. They were some of the first church planners in Greece. They were deacons, teachers. I didn't even read to you Acts 21 that talks about Philip and his prophesying daughters, four of them. They were prophets. They were co-laborers with Paul, and he had no problem mentioning their names alongside of him and giving them honor. They worked hard for the gospel. They were worthy of publicity and honor. They were leaders and quite probably elders and apostles of the church. Amen? So, may we honor and celebrate the women in this church who are the lineage of women of old, who have received and embraced the gospel by faith and who have said in the context of my life according to the giftings and callings of God on me and the release if prob probable and possible in the church I live valiantly and courageously for Jesus and honor Christ with my life whatever it costs can we honor the women of God in this church right now men louder And maybe even stand up. Yes, stand up. This is our lineage through Acts, through the church. We honor you. We honor you. We honor you. Okay, now, in a sober tone, one message and one event 
does not erase in one moment the loss of privilege, the loss of honor, the loss of value, the ridicule, and maybe even worse experiences within the church that women have experienced, both in society, in the church, and maybe even in this church over the years. And I want to say as your pastor, in as representative of men in the room, but primarily as one man myself. Whether intentional or unintentional, with prejudice of an arrogant heart or under the cloak of biblical teaching, we men have offended and hurt you as women and mothers of the church in this room. And on behalf of myself and any willing man in the room, I, we, repent for all of this willful and ignorant hurt and ask for your forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? And would you please forgive us in any way we have held you back and not honored the call of God on your life? And I know that there might be a need for a woman in this room to sit and think about that to process that and it's okay and there might be a need for women in this room to hear it more personally from people that have been more closely associated with that pain and it might be that there are men in this room who need to go and apologize specifically I don't know what God is doing I don't want to create what has to happen I just want to create space for anything that needs to happen to happen so Christopher can you come on up and the student worship team I would like to see humility and forgiveness and repentance flow in our church. And because of the nature of this morning and the length of our service, I don't think it affords all the, it definitely does not afford all the time that I'd like to see, but I'd like to begin the process. It does not end today. But I'd like to see repentance and forgiveness and humility and honor flow in a way that it hasn't before in our church. And I also lastly want to commission women in our movement in our church to be all that God has called you to be so I want to do this I want to start by honoring Sarah Farley Sarah come on up where are you yeah, stay, stay right here because I'm going to have people pray for you. Sarah is uh, one of the great women of God in our church she has just completed our training school um, year and she responded to a stirring in her heart and an invitation from our movement to do a three month um, uh, missionary service in Indonesia this summer. And so she's going to be leaving this week to go and serve and proclaim the gospel through lo love and deeds and, if necessary, words to the people of Indonesia and serve alongside of them. And so I just wanted to honor her as one who's saying, God, you've gifted me, and I'm going. I'm going to live my life radically for you. Amen? And so I want to pray for her, and so you have, if you have a desire to pray for her, pray for her, and then I would just like to do this. And God, uh, and please forgive me if, if this, just throw, this blows out our time frame. But I had this stirring in my heart that there might be women in this room, apart from anything that would be happening of people going to one another, and that would be awesome. But I would just like to say there's an open heaven and an open call 
in this church for you to be all that God has called you to be. And we don't want to place ceilings and place boundaries and place limits on who you are and what God has called you to be. And so if you would like a fresh commission from God, you'd like to stand up and say, God, I feel like there's more release for me than I've experienced or felt in my life or in church or in this church. I would love to invite you to come up and I would like for whoever comes up, I would like for men and or women, whoever feels called to lay hands on these women to pray God's destiny and release over their life. So if that is you, if you're a woman of God and you would like to see more of a release and more of an empowering of God's work in your life, through you and through this church, would you come up and stand up alongside of Sarah? And why don't you stand kind of in the middle so we can get in front and back of you. Can you just kind of move up a little bit so that there's some space behind you and face this way? A line. If we can, I don't know if we'll be able to do it, but let's see if we can do one, one line deep so we can see all of you, honor you, recognize you. Amen. So if you are celebrating with God's call and desire to release on these women's lives and you have faith to impart, to agree and to honor their their step of commitment. Would you come up and begin to lay hands on these women and pray for them? Especially would invite men and if there's something men that you need to say, say it. Everybody is covered. There's like three or four women here with just two people. 